Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio. Speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me, Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. that has survived, that has openly embraced homosexuality. So you say, what's going to happen to America? Well, if history's any guide, the same thing's going to happen to us. So under Pat Robertson's logic, one would have to conclude that, in fact, Haiti has benefited tremendously by what he depicted as this pact with the devil. And uh, I wonder, in contrast, how well Pat Robertson's followers uh, have made out with their own pact with the devil. And what I mean is this. Pat Robertson ran for president in 1988. He did something in that year that nobody's done before or since. He brought three million volunteers to his campaign. He got millions of people involved in the Republican Party all across the country. Uh, In the end, he came in third, but he activated the Christian right, and all those people joined the Republican Party with something in mind, a couple of things in mind. One thing they wanted was that they wanted an end to gay marriage. 
And for years, when the Republican Party was in charge of this country, the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, the presidency, the Republican Party did nothing to accomplish that for Pat Robertson's followers. Similarly, these people want an end to abortion in America. And I'm not going to say whether that was right or wrong or whether they're right or wrong, but I will point out to you that when the Republicans were in charge, the Senate, the House, the White House, the Supreme Court, once again, they did nothing to help Pat Robertson's followers accomplish what they wanted. So tonight I asked those people, the Christian right, what about your own pact with the devil? How's that worked out for you? I yield the rest of my time. Well, I was a child when President Kennedy was assassinated, and my mother thought that because he died of a head wound foretold in Scripture of the Antichrist, he would be resurrected as the Antichrist. She thought this might be a possibility. So those of us who come from the evangelical subculture have been weaned with our mother's milk on a changing cast list of villains. Um, it might be Kennedy to one generation, Obama to the next. But I think the, the larger point this brings up is that the mainstream, not just media, but culture, doesn't sufficiently take stock of the fact that within our culture, we have a subculture which is literally a fifth column of insanity that is bred from birth through homeschool, Christian school, evangelical college, whatever, to reject facts as a matter of faith. And so this substitute for authentic historic Christianity, and I may add as a little caveat here, I'm a church-going Christian, uh, really brings up the question, can Christianity be rescued from Christians? And that's an open question. And when you see a bunch of people going around thinking that our president is the Antichrist, you have to draw one of two conclusions. Either these are racists looking for any excuse to level the next accusation, or they're beyond crazy. And I think beyond crazy is a better explanation. And uh, that evangelical subculture has rotted the brain of the United States of America. We have a big slice of our population waiting for Jesus to come back. They look forward to Armageddon. Good news is bad news to them. Uh, when we talk about the Left Behind series of books uh, that I talk about in my book, Crazy for God, uh, what we're really talking about is a group of people who are resentful because they know they've been left behind by modernity, by science, by education, by art, by literature. The rest of us are getting on with our lives. These people are standing on a hilltop waiting for the end. And this is a dangerous group of people to have as neighbors, and they're our national neighbors. And this is the source of all these insanities that we see leveled at the president. One way or another, they go back to this little evangelical subculture. Um, it's a disaster. It, it is one thing, though, to think about these as almost cultish views, to think about these as views that are on the fringes of, of, of beyond the edge of mainstream. In his new book, Sex, Mom, and God, Frank Schaefer tells us that his mom was just a better person than her theology. Frank Schaefer joins us tonight once again at Our Common Ground. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Keeping Faith, the memoir, Crazy for God, and Patience with God. In his new book, Sex, Mom, and God, How the Bible's Strange Take on Sex Led to Crazy Politics and How I Learned to Love Women and Jesus Anyway, Frank talks about how he learned about sex, God, through his mom, and about his mom. We're so pleased 
to have Frank Schaefer join us once again at Our Common Ground. The book exposes the harsh attitude that organized religion has toward women and sex and shows us how faith and fun can actually coexist. This is a must-read. We'll take your call at Our Common Ground with Frank Schaefer. Stay tuned.
so progressive and so tolerant in the way she treated people, and yet officially our family belonged to what really has to be described as almost a cult in the sense that we were so strict and so tightly closed against the world and other ideas when it came to official beliefs, and yet my mom reached out to people and was so loving in the way she treated them that I guess one of the reasons I wrote this book was just to try to figure out how those two people could coexist in one woman. And and really, in, in leaving my evangelical background that I described in the book, I was actually following the path of my mother's actions as opposed to her official beliefs is the way I see it now. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the glaring um, parts of this book, and you do talk about your mother in Crazy for God, but when you really focus on her in this book, Sex Mom and God, you really make us all kind of shamed about our own relationships with our mothers because there aren't very many mothers that talk about sex, that talk about who they are, who reveal uh, who they are. For instance, when I was reading, I was saying, I was trying to figure out, did my mother like sex? (laughs) Yeah, right. And so many of us did not. So in that way, you you were just so blessed. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she had such a warm personality, um, as you're you're pointing out there, and also was so frank and open with people that that would just be one example of what I'm trying to talk about in the book, which was this contradiction between this very uptight, closed, Calvinistic Christian view of the world that she officially subscribed to, and then the way she acted and treated her own children and family and the people around her and all those who came into her ministry that my parents started back in the 50s in Europe where I grew up. Well, it it, it is also a, a little bit confusing because you would think, and most people would think, that in the culture in which you grew up and your mother was like second in command almost. Right. And all of the women within that culture, within your denomination, looked to her for leadership about how to be a woman, and she was counseling them to take black negligees to Africa and uh, um, <laughs> and to keep their men in line with sex. It was really, really interesting how you captured that. Well, you know, one of the ways that I discovered later how unique my mother was is that a number of her followers, uh, one in particular, Mary Pride, who was someone who founded the the ultra-right-wing homeschool movement that's now grown up to involve millions of women and families and children uh, and and very far-right politics, you know, what you would call the bedrock of, of, of right-wing religious right Christianity in America – Mary Pride actually in her book that she launched that movement with called The Way Home quoted my mother, but then went on to say, but I don't agree with you to Schaefer in a number of ways because she's too liberal in her views about sex and actually quoted having heard mom speak and talk about the necessity of sheer black underwear and foreplay and the rest and went out of her way to actually distance herself from that. So my mom did not have any any more carbon copies following her, even her own followers, some of those who wrote books like Mary Pride went on and and tried to distance themselves from Mother because she was just too much of an individual to fit into that kind of cookie-cutter assembly line way of presenting Christianity that 
most of the women who were reading her books, unfortunately, were part of. But my mother was much more of a character than that and had her own her own views. And of course, in the book, one of the ways that that's interesting is to contrast the way she viewed people and treated them with the movement that our family very unfortunately in helping launch the religious right and the anti-abortion movement and our relationship with Ronald Reagan and the Bush family, Barbara Bush coming to visit my mother and all these people, you know, the direction that movement went in actually has wound up in a direction, if I can put it this way, that if the people we helped in power actually completely won and America turned into the America that Michelle Bachman would like it to be, to just put it that way, or Rick Perry would like it to be, You'd be looking at a kind of a theocracy like Iran, except it would be a Christian version, and someone like my mother, literally, for her views and the way she treated people and received gay people, for instance, at her ministry, didn't judge them, didn't tell them to change, would be put up against a wall and shot. And oddly enough, even though that sounds extreme, and it is, it's a, it's a, a figure of speech, but strangely enough, in this case, some of the people we helped in power in what's called the Reconstructionist Movement or the Dominionist Movement, like Gary North, for instance, who's a theologian, economist on the far right, or Rusas Rushduni, R.J. Rushduni, who founded a lot of the Reconstructionist Movement, they actually talked about reinstating Old Testament law, executing gays, executing heretics, executing children who rebelled against their parents, literally calling for the burning of heretics and people they would term witches and would stick us right back in the Middle Ages, in fact, the Dark Ages. So what's tragic about my mother's life that I point out in Sex, Mom, and God is that it contrasts not only with her official beliefs, and as I said, you know, she's a much better person than what she believed, but also would have put her on the wrong foot with the very people that our family, by helping to combine the Republican Party and the far right of the religious movement in America, uh, have empowered and who are still empowered and who now have literally hijacked the Republican Party so that it's no longer even a normal conservative party anymore that somebody like, say, Jack Gemp or Barry Goldwater or Bush Sr., for instance, would even recognize that it's gone to a place now of religious extremism in the kind of candidates that are being taken seriously um, and the kind of extremism that has put it in the pocket of the Tea Party that really would would make it impossible even for traditional conservative Republicans to recognize this party. And, And one thing we've talked about in the past where you see this very clearly has been the reaction to our first African American president. You know, these these are folks who cannot stand the sight of a black man in the White House and have gone far, far beyond the loyal opposition of usually what you find in politics, which is opposing some policies you disagree with, and literally tried to and largely succeeded in, in some ways, stalling, shutting down, and entirely dismissing and delegitimizing his whole presidency and really becoming a party of obstruction to the point where they would rather see the United States economy fail, for instance, than this president succeed. And so I, in the book, I think, by contrasting where all this movement went with who my mother was, am able to illustrate the extremism that the right wing has gone to that we helped form 
when we were back in the 70s and 80s as the original leaders of the so-called pro-life movement and the Republican turned to the right and the religious right. And by looking at who my mother was and contrasting it with where that movement went, I think that it's it's a way to put in smaller bite-sized pieces instead of talking in huge generalities uh, just how extreme uh, the whole movement has become. Because what, again, I say is so ironic that though my parents and, and I had so much to do with its beginnings, obviously I've left it completely, so they would have nothing to do with me. But even the Edith Schaefer that I talk about in the book in the 50s and 60s who welcomed people into her home, who, for instance, when we had 22 Africans from Nigeria, Kenya, and I think uh, there were some even back in those days who had come um, from a couple of other countries on the Ivory Coast and so forth. They had been studying in, in some of the um, universities in Sofia, Bulgaria, other places that some of the communist regimes would pay for students to come study at, I guess for mainly purposes of indoctrination back in those days. Well, they, they took a summer break and came and stayed at Libri Fellowship, which was my parents' ministry in Switzerland, and they could go there because Switzerland was a neutral country, so they could get visas out of the communist countries they were in. You know, and, and not only were was this group of African students welcomed, but they, we're talking the late 50s, early 60s here. My dad once told my sisters and me, he said, and by the way, I just want you to know that, uh, um, you know, not only do we welcome everyone here from these various African countries, but unlike most Christians in America, should one of my daughters uh, fall in love with one of these students and want to marry, um, that would be fine with me. And my parents would go out of the way to say things that back in those days, whether it was about race, mixed marriage, gay people, single moms, of which we had a lot, visit Labrie that would be very welcome. You know, my parents had a place for them, and yet how ironic that the movement that we helped empower a few years later over the abortion issue then has gone to a point where, to fast forward to the present, you know, 40 or 50 years from when my parents were starting their work back in those days and I was growing up, uh, you know, we're, we're at a place now where you have people who literally cannot tolerate the idea of even having a black man in the White House or empowering a gay person to marry the person they love or, uh, you know, receiving a single woman who is having sex and having children, you know, the way you would receive your own family, but rather exclude these folks. And so the contrast drawn in Sex, Mom, and God between what my family was my mom, and even my dad, as I talk about more in my book, Crazy for God, and what the results were of what we did is really a tragic story of unintended consequences, and really I think it points out that the movement itself has completely gone off the rails and wound up denying the very Christianity that it's supposedly based on, to the point where I think some of its founders, like my parents, or some of the conservatives of the Republican Party of yesterday, like Jack Kemp or Eisenhower or even Goldwater, would just be shocked and horrified at the degree of racism, intolerance, homophobia, just sheer naked hatred that drips from Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, the other radio people. Where this is all wound up is not only just so far away from where my mother was, but has taken on a life of its own that I think would shock what you might call just a traditional, decent Republican conservative of 30 or 40 years ago. And that that's really the larger arc 
that uh, I think the book deals with and opens the door to by looking at this contrast of Edith Schaefer's tolerant life and way she treated people and where the whole movement wound up. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a severe dichotomy that uh, has influenced your life, not only about sex, but about race. Mm. Uh, and one of the things I want to ask you is, do you see a, a similar dichotomy in other uh, what I might call reasonable conservatives in America, the, their views about sex and race? And, and I do want to talk to you about Herman Cain because I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, yeah. So, do, do you think that there? How do you how do you balance this? And one of the things that you do do you 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 really illustrate how your mother gave you um, built character in into you, mm. so that you were able to come to some rational thought about escaping this craziness. Well, I think that the way Mom built character into her children, and, and speaking of my own life, was simply by example. In other words, I had two paths laid out in front of me, not in so many words, but very clearly. And one was this strict theological path of intolerance, of saying anybody who's not part of our church is going to hell, uh, people who break these rules, God hates them, et cetera, et cetera. That was a theory, but then in practice, mom acted in a completely different way, tolerant and humane, as we've been discussing. And so really, she gave me a choice, and that was to follow this stunted theology that she'd embraced as a child herself, raised by missionaries. So she very much was caught in the same system, and she grew beyond it, not by leaving it the way I did in terms of expressing different views, but in behaving in a way that really contradicted what she supposedly believed by not writing people off, by treating them in a certain way, by poo-pooing whenever it came up, the kind of moralistic, judgmental, pharisaical attitudes of other Christians, which she would go out of her way to to, to, to contradict, not by saying their theology was wrong, but just by saying, oh, well, that's not important, or, uh, you know, that's not the way we believe, or whatever. She would distance herself. And so I think she presented a real choice. And then I, and I think that the, the kind of reaction that we see now, that, that your normal, decent, uh, old-fashioned conservative, because, of course, these right-wing folks are not conservative. They're, they're radicals. And they're theocrats. They want a theocracy. They're as far away from your traditional American conservative as you can get when it comes to the shape of the future they would like. All they're bringing America back to God and the Bible is really creating a theocracy. So that said, I just think that the distance between and the dichotomy, you know, as you put it, between the traditional conservative movement and where it's gone uh, not that one would have to agree with everything traditional conservatives said, but even even these folks are even radical compared to that. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think, you know, the biggest frame we can put on this to understand the wider context, and I think that uh, in, in Sex, Mom, and God, the direction that my book goes does this to some extent, is to say, look, this is this is not just an American story. This is not about just North American politics. The reaction to Barack Obama is not just about what's happening here in America. It's part of a far larger story, which is the collision course, that fundamentalist religion of all kinds worldwide, 
has been on for the last 40 years with modernity, science, facts, tolerance, etc. And so what's shocking is to understand that if you look at the platform of the Republican Party today and their reaction, whether it's on race, immigration, sexuality, all these points, it would overlap exactly with the policies of al-Qaeda or the Saudi royal family or the Iranian the mullahs. Sharia law. Yeah, and and what we what we have in America here when they talk about bringing America back to the Bible is really their attempt to impose Sharia law, except it's a Christian version of it. In other words, a law dictated by theology, interpreted by theologians instead of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the rule of law. You put the Bible there, you put the Quran there. You put whatever there, but if it's not the rule of law and if it's not democracy within the form that we have it, then what you really are talking about is a kind of a, a theocracy, not not a democracy. And that's that's the hook. That's where what we see going on here in America is not just the American story. So you know, this is the first, in the last fifteen twenty years, you see a rise of Hindu nationalism in India that's reacting against modernity and murdering Christians. You see religious civil wars on the borders of numerous African countries between Muslim and, and Christian groups fighting it out. Uh, both sides threatened by the modern era, trying to carve out territory to defend against. Science, fact, progress, humanistic views, whatever it may be. So it's it's not particularly an American phenomena. And I think that, you know, we tend to see everything here through the lens of American exceptionalism, like this is what's happening here. We're seeing this around the world. And, and, and so I think it's incredible that here in the United States that has a tradition of the rule of law and so forth, you have the very party that calls itself conservative, has actually become a party of radical anti-American, anti-American revolution to the point where, for instance, they are willing to shut down the business of government in the debt limit. The 87 freshman congressmen, the Tea Party that put there, are willing literally to watch America's credit rating worldwide slide and our country be pushed towards a second recession, if not depression, in order to help their agenda, which is actually to delegitimize, defund the federal government, because they're a party of revolution. They are, they are anti-American in that sense. And that's, that's part and parcel with their willingness to take us down so they can succeed in making Barack Obama fail. And that radicalism that we see there is not the sort of thing you associate with politics, but it's what you do associate with religious fanaticism. And these folks bring a religiously fanatical type of political view to the table that is willing to literally scorch the earth and take us all down with them if they don't get their way. And one of the roots of that fanatical movement is the kind of work we were doing through the pro-life movement that said, look, your government has legalized murder or they're legalizing sodomy. The Supreme Court is an agent of the devil. These are signs of the end times. The government is your enemy. The federal government is your enemy. The Federal Reserve is your enemy. The United Nations is your enemy. These kind of radical anti-government views that have been spouted by the religious right. The result has been that government itself in their minds is now illegitimate. 
So anything that weakens government, for instance, not raising enough taxes from rich people, not allowing government to regulate Wall Street, is part of their agenda. And, of course, the irony is that it does nothing about the so-called social issues that they campaign on, but actually makes sure that people like the Koch brothers or Goldman Sachs and the other Wall Street companies can do anything they want. Because in an atmosphere where the government is portrayed as the devil, and where it's now completely delegitimized in the minds of right-wing Christians because there's a black man in the White House, so it's ten times worse than it was before from their point of view, then anything the government does, even regulating Wall Street, is evil. So the, the far-right religious folks have wound up not changing the social issues first, although they're chipping away at that too in terms of women's rights, for instance. But what they've managed to do is paralyze the business of government to the point where we have a completely unregulated economy where 1% of the population has has 50% of the wealth where you've got a growing disparity between the rich and poor that's not the primary agenda of the religious right but they have empowered the folks on the corporate side of the picture who have taken advantage of the delegitimizing of of the federal government to you know, literally romp home to the bank when their incomes in the last 40 years have gone up 400% and everybody else's have stagnated. And so it's an incredible situation we're in because we have right-wing religious fanatics who have derailed the system and the people who have profited are the top 1% who would not allow these folks to caddy for them on their golf courses. They have nothing to do with them and they hate them and despise them as rubes. But they're very useful because it means that the, the government itself is unable to conduct business as usual. And Barack Obama is a good example of that, and that is he's been completely stalled. Actually, he has, and he's achieved many things in spite of this. But they have attempted to completely stall his presidency, not be a loyal opposition and get their views heard, but actually just stop anything from happening, even raising the debt limit. That's how radical these guys have become. Do you think that the Republican of operatives have any control over the leeching of the, of this culture war into their politics? I think that's a great question. And if I was the Koch brothers and sitting in the corner office of Goldman Sachs, at some point I'd wake up with sweaty palms in the night saying, what the hell have we launched here? Who are these guys and when mm -hmm. are they going to come for us? Because the fact of the matter is, when you look at a guy like Rick Perry starting his campaign with prayer meetings with folks on the stage with him who are as radical far-right loony Christians as you will get, or Michelle Bachman who says she got into politics because she watched the film series that I directed and read my dad's books back in the 70s and became a pro-life activist and so forth. These guys are serious, and so, you know, uh, be careful who you get into bed with and what you wish for because, of course, by the by the money interests and the corporate interests further empowering the the loony right, by, for instance, Rupert Murdoch further empowering them through Fox News and then literally by buying Zondervan Publishing Company, Harper One, and these other big religious publishing outfits and using them to publish all these right-wing books, you know, they, they are creating a world in which, in the end, the corporate titan is going to be threatened, too. Because, of course, if you let the village idiots actually run the asylum, you are going to take everything down with you. This isn't good for business, to just put it in really crude terms. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there may be a profound historic miscalculation having taken place here. 
that the people who thought they were going to use the movement gets used by it. I mean, look look at the Hutari militia, which is the fringe of the fringe, that were training and and you know fighting their little play wars in the in the forest with guns in Michigan, practicing for a time when they would kill police officers, soldiers, and other people to facilitate the return of Jesus by creating the chaos predicted in in the book of Revelation and, you know, getting ready for those black helicopters the United Nations was going to send to take away our freedoms and all their insane lunatic visions. Well, you know, this isn't a world in which Sachs and, and, and the Koch brothers and Exxon does well either. So, you know, if I was Rupert Murdoch right now, I'd be looking at the kind of people who are getting all their information spewed from my hate machine, and I would be worried that you know somewhere in that crowd there is the assassin who is going to pull the trigger and kill the president i would be worried that i'm stirring up the next hutari militia that by providing them with a string of false information about the president the democratic party gay people whatever it may be that i'm actually creating a monster that i won't be able to control and i think that corporate america is really, really, really setting something on fire here. Because, look, if you have a Glenn Beck or a Rush Limbaugh and they're just howling at the moon on some street corner by themselves, talking to themselves, you know, while they're sleeping under a cardboard box in some church doorway, that's one kind of thing. But when you give them a billion-dollar megaphone, the way Clear Channel does with radio stations or the way Fox News is done, and say, spew this, insanity into the ozone layer for 20 years and raise a whole generation of people who listen to nothing but this misinformation and then try to have a democracy in which Goldman Sachs can make their money, you've shot yourself in the foot. So I think you that, really have. I, yeah, I mean, because you're I taking think... everything. You're burning the house down. You're burning the right. whole house down. And that's yeah. where these go. And this, hey, nothing indicates this more than burning the house of education down. Look, when you turn everybody against the government where you can't even have infrastructure, you can't have fast trains because that's government. You can't have, you know, uh, Amtrak has to make a profit. Otherwise, you know, that's big government. Uh, people can't get health care because that would be socialism. And now you won't even pay for schools. And you've got a whole generation of people coming along who are functionally illiterate. At some point, there have to be some people in those corporate offices who say, hey, listen, uh, this is a bridge too far, and, yes. and we're, we're we're shooting ourselves in the foot here. Yeah, I, I've spent uh, uh, a great deal of my career uh, as an executive in four Fortune 100 companies, and I tell you, Frank, I would be very concerned, and I would be rattling the cage and ringing the bells uh, if I were still in corporate America, saying, "Hey, guys, you better be looking." at who you're associating with and what they're doing because the Occupy movement right. and the anger over the economy and the temperature taking that American people are taking right now, right. you have not seen the wrath of real angry people right. in your product lines. And I, 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 I especially think about that in terms of, uh, companies and organizations that are members of the National Chamber of Commerce Association. Mm, right, who have uh, done everything they can to, to undermine the president. Absolutely. So I, I, I just I, I think you're 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 right on it. But one of the things that people are especially so 
perplexed about is that with the, the huge number of voting women in this country, that it seems that this movement has pushed Republican and Tea Party politics right into women's uteruses. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure um, why that is sticking, and I'm not sure if the same people that we've just been talking about are look at the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies, are looking at what this movement has 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 dined in terms of legislative initiatives uh, around birth control, right. uh, uh, around women's health programs, etc. Well, What's I think that, on that. Yeah, well, I, well, take on it's really simple. You know, I, as you know, one of the things I track in Sex, Mom, and God is this misogynistic thread that runs all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament and into the beginnings of Christian church history. And so you can't separate the two. When you have a bunch of people running around saying, let's bring America back to the Bible, and they believe the Bible literally and say, this is how we all ought to be living, and you have 50% of the population or more identifying themselves as Bible-believing Christians of one sort or another in an evangelical, literalistic, non-progressive sense, you got a problem. And the the issue here is how do you get people to vote against their own interests, say women? Well, if you convince those women that they've got to follow this book, uh, you're a long way toward doing that because in this book, what what are what are they following? They're following a book that says that, for instance, to the Quiverful movement, that's this extreme right-wing evangelical group of women and men who have families where they're no longer using birth control, so they call themselves Quiverful families because they've got a full quiver of children using this picture out of one of the psalms of a, of a quiver full of children being a blessing. So they've got a full quiver and, and no birth control, seven, eight, nine, ten kids. They're homeschooling. What those daughters are being taught is that when they're 15, 16 years old, their dad will introduce them to the man God has chosen for them. There's going to be no dating. Uh, it's They're going to have a short courtship. They might as well be in the 14th century, uh, more or less an arranged marriage. You, you know, I, I don't think what most folks understand who haven't been part of religious communities. Look, I grew up in a closed fundamentalist religious community. I was lucky because my mother was different than a lot of those moms. So I had her reading me different books and so forth. But nevertheless, we were cut off from the larger world completely. And I think that what most people don't get is you can create your own little totalitarian mm -hmm. states inside mm -hmm. the four walls of a home. And if you replicate that a million times, there's a whole other America out there that people who aren't part of it don't even know exists. Look, you know, you hear these horrible extreme stories, and I'm not making an analogy here, but, you know, where your normal neighbor next door, those nice folks next door, you know, have somebody locked in their basement, and 20 years later they find out, you know, this happened. Okay, those are criminals of a different sort, but it's no less of a kind of a locking up to have kids who are out of the school system, who are raised inside this enclave. The only other people they see is are folks in a small church group or a large church group, as may be, that think the same way. And they go through life 
living what might as well be an existence on a separate planet, not just another mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Then these people are unleashed on our country, and they look at the whole country. They think that these people out there are different than us. They're evil. This isn't really our country. And they come up with these programs and candidates who will take America back. Well, from whom will they take it back? They will take it back from the rest of us. In other words, this is a party of revolution that doesn't have a different view of politics or facts. They don't even agree that those facts exist, starting with creation, starting with evolution, starting with where the planet's going. They reject global warming because the government says it's true. They reject infrastructure investment because the government should have any money at all. This isn't a, this isn't you know two views of a political issue. This is a party that might as well be on a different planet. And so, now not all evangelicals are that radical, but there are a lot who are. And of course, as we know, the way politics or religion works is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. The radical drives the whole thing to the right or to the left, and that's what's happened. And so. When you look at what's going on in the states right now, I think that what you're seeing is generations and generations of people raised in these enclaves who, not as a kind of a conspiracy, but just as individuals, have surfaced. And when they vote, they're looking for radical right-wing Christian, quote-unquote, candidates. Mm-hmm. And, and when they raise kids, they are heavy into corporal punishment and intimidation. Women are abused. There are families in America who believe, just like the Saudi Arabian Wahhabist extremist Muslims do, that women shouldn't be allowed to drive. Daughters aren't sent to college, but are are groomed for the husband their father will choose for them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's the fringe, but it's a fringe that includes millions of people. And the people who aren't on the fringe have been pulled so far to the right that, okay, maybe they're not homeschooling their kids, but they're going to put them in a Christian school. You know, maybe they aren't against everything the government does, but they're always going to vote to defund the government, lower taxes, and so forth. And so you just see that the pressure to swing to the right on all these issues has become immense, and its root is right back in that biblical theology that's misogynistic and, as you say, gets right into women's uteruses. And it's all related to these issues of sexuality, freedom, and women's rights. Why? Because that is... What what I was saying before about being on a collision course with modernity, nowhere is there a clear parting of the ways than over the issue of the role of women. Women in the Bible are to sit down, be quiet, uh, have all the children God sends them, take the abuse their husbands dish out. In the Old Testament, if a girl loses her virginity before she's married, she's to be stoned to death in the gates of her father's house. In the New Testament, she's not to talk. She's to keep her head covered and her head down. Uh, in the early in the early canons of the church, she's not allowed to sing or participate in a service. Even this is the heritage, and people don't want to face it because of this nonsense about a religious freedom and b. Well, you know, who am I to judge somebody else's personal beliefs? Well, you know, as the father of a daughter I adore and two wonderful granddaughters and a wife uh, that I love. Uh, I object just on the human grounds that 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 yeah. why should why should someone you know male or female put up with beliefs that are so hate driven when it comes to fifty two percent of the population and 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 I think it's time to speak up as I do in the book 
and just say, listen, it isn't a question of different interpretations of these biblical passages. It's a fact of saying we have to say plainly these are wrong teachings. These are dumb teachings. These teachings are out of sync with reality as we understand it, with science, with truth, with beauty, mm -hmm. with love. And they're even out of sync with the more enlightened portions of Scripture. There's two Bibles. There's not one. There's all the good stuff. And then there's all this nonsense and this crap that runs through it from end to end. It's no good just saying we'll come up with a kinder, gentler interpretation. We have to go, I think, to the next step and just say, look, we reject this. We are not going to buy into this framework of thinking anymore look what it produces and so right. that's where we got to go so it, for someone who is for women's rights they cannot then also turn around and say they believe the bible to be true in everything it says you can't have both for someone who is for women's rights and for caring for our daughters and our granddaughters and giving them opportunities mm -hmm. you cannot then turn around and say the you know, just because this is religious, I have to respect it and be respectful when talking about it, this point of view. They have a right to believe that. They don't. No one has the right to believe it, an absolute lie that then imprisons other people in a mythology which destroys their lives and takes away their opportunities. And that's what biblical theology does when it's taken literally in this fundamentalist sense. So what we're seeing right now uh, on the political landscape are the surfacing of all of these people who have been raised in, as you point out in the book, cocoons and echo chambers. Correct. And many of them have formed their opinions especially and their political goals, especially political goals, actually on principles which really go against Bible teaching. Well, and they go again. Look, as I say, there are two Bibles. There is the enlightened thread that runs from the beginning to the end. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Uh, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. When it comes to a woman, Christ was being urged to stomp on, and he stomped on the people who were doing the stomping instead. And then there's the other thread. Stone her in the gates of her father's house. You know, drag mm -hmm. her out by the hair and kill her. Um, mm -hmm. And those two things coexist. So you have to choose which, what sounds like the world you'd like to live in. Right. If you're cast up on a desert island tomorrow morning and there's three other people there that outnumber you, you better hope and pray they're following the enlightened passages and not the other stuff. Because if they're following the other stuff, you're dead. And mm -hmm. if they're mm -hmm. following the enlightened passages, you have a good shot at a happy life. So a you tool can, of, a tool you can of manipulation. Them. Yeah, and and if yeah. you look if you look at something like the civil rights movement, or you look at the at something like the emancipation of the slaves, or the banning of the slave trade by the British in the 18th century, it it was empowered often by Christians who made the choice to follow the anti-slavery passages of the Bible instead of the pro-slavery passages. Because guess what, both of mm -hmm. them are in there. And, and one of the the most disturbing parts of all of this, Frank, last week. <laughs> We were with uh, Tamalyn uh, Tucker Wargs, who is the author of a new book, The Mega Black Church, hmm. of Black Mega Churches. And one of the things that I questioned her about is that the adamant way in which black churches, some black churches across this country, especially the large ones, are starting to adopt the the, the basic principles of uh, the 
evangelical, fundamentalist, conservative white churches, Mm. which would imbue a, a system of white supremacy all over again. Yeah, it's a tragedy, and of course, it's 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 you know there'd be a lot of reasons this might happen, but one of them is that people like what works, and so you know if you see somebody up the block who's got a church with ten thousand members, that'd be nice to do in your church, and of course, people you know these these methods get copied, but look, reactionary kind of uh, pharisaical, hard-edged Christianity works great. It 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 worked for. It's several thousand years in Europe and and empowering monarchies and serfdom and the slave trade and all the rest of it. it you know there there's no question you can grow your church on hate and reaction and writing off the other and that love does hurt uh turning the other cheek is not as sexy and fun as writing off the mm-hmm. people you disagree with as the devil um, following the, the the kind, the gentle, the good, the tolerant, the open thread is complicated. It means you have to think through every issue, and you can't just come up with this little set of rules that are easy to follow and write off everybody mm-hmm. else as the son and daughters of Satan. And so, yeah, sure, you know what? Fascism worked too. Uh, you know, it 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 wasn't it, it wasn't that uh, Mussolini and Franco and Hitler and all these other people had no followers, they had a lot of followers. And and so when you look at the the lure and the temptation of intolerance and simple solutions to things that are actually complex paradoxes, yeah, it it it, it works. And if what you want is growth and a large income and uh and, and success, quote unquote, fine. But there's another thread that runs through religion that I talk about in my books, which is a much more complex, much more beautiful, much more nuanced, much kinder, gentler, harder to live. Uh, uh, we'll never make the megachurch numbers because you will never find people on that broad, wide path all following along at the same time for very far on the path because it's a much more complex thing. But in my way of thinking, it is what has produced the actual good fruit that has come out of the Christian consensus that really did have an impact through people like Martin Luther King Jr. and others, and today through Barack Obama, who has a much more nuanced type of Christian faith himself. So, you know, the irony is, to my way of thinking, that with all this right-wing Christianity talking about bringing America back to God, right now we have an example of actually a godly man in the White House, (laughs) but he's following that complex nuanced, paradoxical thread, trying to see the other person's point of view, not jumping all over everything all at once, reaching out, trying to meet people halfway. Look, he's been criticized from the left for, for his gentleness and for not yeah. being hard hard enough and hard-edged enough. It's a tough path to follow that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's the one Martin Luther King followed. It's the one Barack Obama's following. It's the one that the great religious leaders all follow. And guess what? Half of them wind up killed for it. That's the truth of it. If, if you want the easy, wide path with the big success, you don't follow Jesus Christ. You don't follow the message of Christianity that says forgive, meet people halfway, try to understand, yeah. have compassion. You write people off and you smack them down. You call them, you know, whatever name you want to attach to them. Uh, and, and you come up with these simple lists of rules. And, uh, you know, whether it's figurative speech or literal, 
You know, the, the, that poor young woman who stumbles and has problems, you drag her off and stone her to death. Now, it can be a literal stoning, or it can be the kind of homophobic ranting that you hear from these evangelicals. It doesn't matter. The fact is, that's a broad, wide path that works great. It, but yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work in a way that produces civilizations worth living in. That's the bottom line. And, you know, one of the things that I, I came away on as I closed the book in, in finishing it, uh, Frank, and I thank you so very much for it, is to remind us all that there are blessings in the shadow, that we merely need to step up and stand on loving our neighbor. Yeah, I think so, and, and, I, and blessings and, in the shadow is the way to put it, because it's there. But that part takes more work than just simply, you know, the labels yeah. affixed by, by 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 the way the right wing and what masquerades as Christianity. And I just leave you with this thought, and that is I think a lot of what we see today coming out of the Republican Party is really religion masquerading as politics. These guys aren't interested mm -hmm. in politics. Politics is sitting down in the village square with your neighbor and talking about something and finding consensus. Religion is, 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 is you know, this is what we believe and that's it. God said it and I believe it. And, of course, that's not politics. That's extremism. That's religion. And, and really, you know, religion masquerading as politics is a very dangerous thing. And as I say, it's a worldwide phenomenon right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I certainly uh, recommend this book. Frank, I know that you have to leave us at the top of the hour. I do, yeah. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We're speaking truth to power tonight with Frank Schaefer. He's the author of a new book, Sex, Mom, and God. And I am recommending it highly and I'm so glad to have him with us. Frank, There, we do have one Our Common Ground um, listener who has, been, who has been talking to me all day about just asking you one question. And sure, I don't go ahead. See, I don't see him on the board. Uh, he was there, and he disappeared. But l let me ask you a question. I'm so glad you're in Massachusetts, and I hope I'll see you in Lowell with Elizabeth Warren tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And God bless Elizabeth uh, Warren. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things that we do have to do is we have to continue to keep our eye on the prize by fighting the power. Right. And you are so absolutely right that we have to say enough and no. Yeah, and I think I think the Occupy Wall Street movement, who knows where it's all going to go, but it's certainly something that I think opens a chink of hope on providing the kind of groundswell that finally, for instance, gave Lyndon Johnson permission to sign some of his civil rights legislation, mm -hmm. because if there hadn't been people in the street, he wouldn't have been able to have the permission to do what I think his heart led him to do in that particular instance. And I think we can do the same for President Obama, who's a, a much better man than Lyndon Johnson ever was, but nevertheless provide permission for him to fight the good fight. Look, you know, this, at some point the cavalry has to show up and ride over the horizon and come to the rescue of our elected officials. And they can't do it by themselves. So I think the groundswell of support from Occupy Wall Street is exactly what is necessary as we go forward into the next four years of the Obama presidency and will help him achieve some of the promise uh, that we've been looking for uh, whereas so far, because of the obstructionism of the Republicans, the best he's been able to do is keep pulling a few things out of the fire that they keep creating and, and give us some unexpected successes, 
but nevertheless, I think that his presidency can be empowered in a way by the street that no political action is going to be able to give him. You're you're absolutely right, and I think that what we're having right now, what we're seeing across this country, and a big shout-out to the folks out there from Occupy Oakland and Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Boston, who I know are listening tonight, uh, a big shout-out because the intersection is going to be the good and the bad. It always comes down to that. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and and Occupy Wall Street is probably, besides the actual election of Barack Obama it's, uh, three years ago today, it's probably the most hopeful sign that I've seen in the last 20 years in American history that there's, you know, there's still some life in the patient and, and we have a shot here. So it's, a, it's an incredible, it can't be over, the importance of the Occupy Wall Street movement I don't think can be overstated right now. You're absolutely right. Frank Schaefer, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us tonight. And thank you for this wonderful book, Sex, Mom, and God. And um, in, we, we, we hope that you will continue to inform and enlighten us. I do sincerely believe that you are a national treasure. Well, I appreciate that, your, your kindness. That's awfully nice of you to say. But uh, I, and I just want to say I really appreciate you too. So thanks. Thank you, and thank and and please give my regards to Lisa. Yes, I will. Uh, Warren. Yes, who, who uh, sets all these things up? She's very kind. Yes. And thanks we a lot. Hope to have you back anytime. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Good night. Our guest tonight. Frank Schaefer, and we'll continue to talk about this subject of the evangelical fundamentalist movement seeping and leaching into our politics. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852, and when we come back from this break, we're going to be opening up our phone lines. We hope that you will join us. Common Ground, Saturday Night Open Mic, with my co-host, Alpha of the Alpha Show. Please check out our other broadcast. I really want to show you something.
Play today? For great play ideas, visit www.smallstep.gov. And we thank you so very much for being with us here tonight. Our number is 347-838-9852. We do want to continue to talk about how the Bible's strange take on sex led to crazy politics and how Frank Schaefer learned to love women and Jesus anyway. Um, For those of you who have just joined us, our guest in our first hour was Frank Schaefer. And um, he grew up in La Brie, the Swiss chalet Christian community that his parents, evangelicals, Francis and Edith Schaefer ran. He was surrounded by women, beautiful women, but the one who influenced him most, his sexuality, the one the most was his devout yet sexually extroverted mother, Edith Schaefer. And in his book, Sex, Mom, and God, he paints a vivid picture of his mother, a compassionate Christian, uh, firm in her beliefs, but she was also comfortable in answering her young son's many questions. And indeed, Frank Schaefer looks back at his youth in this book, and it is absolutely riveting. Um, The book has a number of essay-type parts, and I found them fascinating. Uh, As a former extreme right-wing Christian fundamentalist, Schaefer understands that mindset, and and he puts it in the context uh, from what he learned from the inside, the, the political movements and what I what I consider simply is a takeover of American Republican politics uh, by extreme right-wing Christian fundamentalism. And But here's the best thing about Sex, Mom, and God. This book is a, a gentler book than his Crazy for God, if you read that. Uh, in that book, he was a truth teller, revealing the shadow side of his Christian fundamentalist upbringing. In in, in Crazy for God, we, we found out that Schaefer's highly revered parents, Francis and Eve Schaefer, had some serious weaknesses that were kept hidden so as not to tarnish their Christian ministry. And he talked a, about, a little about that. Uh, well, in detail about that uh, um, when he was before he had to leave, but in Sex, Mom, and God, we still see a little more in a and and we see his mother especially in a very different light. Um, she was a courageous, loving, and very creative uh, person, and one of the things that can be attributed to his own creative life is what he learned from from his mother. And he writes in the book, I simply chose to follow the other Edith Schaefer, the one whose heart was elsewhere than in the lifeless theories she paid lip service to. And he he calls it lip service. Um, So I hope that you will take some time, get this book, and... 
and read it. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's funny in a, in a lot of places. And, you know, it's too bad that more evangelicals uh, would not be open to reading uh, his this book because it provides them, it could provide them with such a clear understanding of recent church history and what happened to the influence of the uh, uh, right-wing Christian uh, evangelicals um, into today's political uh, landscape. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and we'd like to hear from you. Our number is 347-838-9852. What do you think of the interview? What do you think of what Frank Schaefer had to say? Do you think that you might be... um, um, uh, visiting this book um, Have you read Crazy for God um, Because That book Really Sets it all out It really Sets it all out um, Our number is 347-838-9852 And I'm going to ask Alpha if he'll call the office Please And we're going to take a little break And when we come back Um, We're going to take your calls And I'll talk more Because I think it's very important And our mics are open 347-838-9852 That this stuff is leaching Into 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 the black church And it has been For quite a while We're going to take a break And we'll be right back You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Coming back, I'll be listening for you. And and here's the shortest part about it. NPR leans to the right. NPR leans, and you can ask, you know, and when I say NPR leans to the right, I'm simply speaking about who they have on. They have twice as many conservatives on spewing bovine excrement than they do liberals with their chicken excrement. So at some point in time, you have to step back and you have to say, where's the job? What job bills have they introduced? The only thing Republicans have introduced is spending cuts that will cost 700,000 jobs. They are clearly trying to shut down our uh, economic growth and our recovery. You've got governors all over the country turning down jobs for speed rail. Now, regardless of how you feel about the speed rail, you mean the French can do it, Japan can do it, the Chinese can do it, Europe, they can do it over there, but we can't do it here? You know, where is this exceptionalism coming from when we are so uh, mired in ignorance and mired in in, in, in just, just total... Obstruction. Listening to the best pushback politics, the Alpha Show.
Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Enter the Lion's Den with LDX and Information Man. Swagger Talk Radio at TruthWorks Network. TruthWorks Network. Into the lion. Enter the lion's den with LDX featuring Information Man. Only at TruthWorks Network. Thursdays, Fridays, 9 p.m. East Coast, West Coast. Meet. I'ma bring my people to the light this Royal Lion Mob into the lion. Into the lion. Into the lion. Into the lion. Al-Qaeda quotes certain voice, verses in the Quran, in or out of context, calling for jihad and bloody war and the curse of Allah on infidels. This is the Old Testament biblical equivalent of calling for holy war. Now, most Americans will just see the bumper sticker and smile and think that it's facetious. Unfortunately, there are 22 million Americans or so who call themselves super conservative evangelicals. Of this, a small minority uh, might be violent, but the general atmosphere here is really getting heated. And what surprises me is that responsible, if you can put it that way, Republican leadership and the editors of some of these Christian magazines, et cetera, et cetera, do not stand up in holy horror and denounce this. You know, they're always asking, where is the Islamic leadership denouncing terrorism? Why aren't the moderates speaking out. Well, I challenge the folks who I used to work with that I talk about in my book, Patience with God, and I would just say to them, 
Where the hell are you? This is not funny anymore. And be it on your head if something happens to our president, if you are going to go around supporting and not speaking out against this stuff. It's not just a question of who's doing it. The bigger question is, where are the people speaking out again, against these things? I don't hear those voices raised in the evangelical fundamentalist community. And until I do, I, and my opinion is they're culpable. And I, one last thing on this. I think it points up the fact that Obama's supporters, of which I have been one since he began running, had better start speaking up in support of him and not sniping him. And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Our, mic, our phone lines are open, 347-838-9852. We're going to go to the phones. Alpha, thank you for joining us. Well, good evening, Janice. How are you? Okay. Um, you know, Janice, let me say this. Um, this is one of their own. This is someone from their ranks. This is someone who grew up with them. So if you don't believe him, who the hell are you going to believe? And I see this, and I say this simply because when I hear people who have basically contested what I've said for the last three years. This is something bigger than he brought in Goldman Sachs or he brought in uh, all of the Clinton people or he's nothing more than what the establishment wants as a president. This goes beyond the president. These people are 12 months away from checkmate. These people are 12 months away from evangelist Christian Sharia. Make no mistake about it. If they get their way, they will not just bring down this president. They will bring down this country. Well, you know, let me, you're, you're absolutely right. But one of the things that we have to understand, and that's why Frank, why I call Frank Schaefer a national treasure, because if the history of Christianity proves one thing, it's that you can make the Bible say anything. You know, when you hear words like, we want to take back America for God, the 21st century expression of as he as he calls it so correctly, theocratic ideas can be traced back to some of his old friends and the friends of this movement, the Reconstructionists. You know, I mean, the Americans inhabiting the wider culture just saw the results of Reconstructionism without understanding where those results had come from, for instance, how the hell George W. Bush got elected and then re-elected? If you call getting a president elected and dominating Congress for the better part of 40 years a real impact, then yes, Christian conservatives have had that impact already for the last 40 years. Like and I we're said, seeing the fruit. Like we're said, seeing the fruit. They are... 
12 months away from check. That's right. Today is three years to the day we elected President Barack Obama, November 4th, 5th, I'm sorry, three years ago. The sheer ignorance of people who say that somehow they are not just less enthusiastic about this president. I take him for what he is. He's a centrist. He's closer to a blue dog than to a progressive. For those who whine and wail about what he's done for the black community, they simply miss the bigger picture. And that's why I'm adamant about those who are, I would call them disgruntled, disappointed. When you get down, when you really get down to all of this nonsense, what you have and what you are about to witness in America is the cancer that will eat this nation up from within. And that cancer is religion. That cancer is pure. What is the difference between evangelical Christians and the Mormons or the Warren Jeffs, the prophets, the gated communities, that rape children, young girls, and marry them off to the elders. What is the difference between the evangelical Christians and the Sharia law of no women educated, just stay at home, stay barefooted, stay pregnant, and the full quiver that Frank Schaefer spoke about? I'm not putting this man up to some type of of, uh, uh, God when it comes to the religion, but this is someone from within. This is someone who walked amongst them. And this is worse than the Nazis of the early uh, mm-hmm. Hitler era. This is worse I... than a Taliban because what they have done is systematically corrupted a system of media, of propaganda, and you use this media to spew these lies. They use this media to false, basically propagate falsehoods, to bring and, this, and, you know, down, and to bring this me, nation down from within. Let me also remind you that when George W. Bush was in the White House, we weren't paying attention to who he was bringing around him. If you go back and you list and you look at the invitation list for his national prayer breakfast each year, when you go around and you look at the list, and you can FOIA, you can ask the White House to provide you a list of everybody that ever stepped foot in the White House during the Bush years, and you see the parade of people who come out of this ilk. Alpha, I don't know, did you see the video of the young girl in Texas who 20 years later after she had been whipped by a belt by her her father who is a judge in Texas. Did you see that video? Did any of you see that video? I saw the video, but that's the same type of mentality. Thank you. 
that's the kind of mentality that, and 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 like uh, Frank Schaefer said, you know, the young girl steps out of line, and he may as well have taken her to the backyard and stoned her to death. Absolutely. That's, that's virtually what you're going to have. You know, this is... And the whole thing, I mean, if, if for those of you who saw the video, and if you haven't seen it, and I I caution you, it's it's quite disturbing. But the father continues to tell her to lay across the bed. He uses vulgar language in whipping her repeatedly for seven minutes with a belt. He is a sitting judge in the state of Texas. And one of the things that he continued to say over and over is the biblical admonishment about obeying your parents that comes right out of the Bible. While he whipped his 17-year-old daughter with a leather belt as though she were a dog. And a dog, if he had done that to a dog and been reported, he would have gone to jail. Well, had she reported him before the statute of limitations ran out, he'd have gone to jail. I, I, I think the whole thing about the statute of limitations running out, that the state pr- prosecutor has fallen on, is bogus. Well, that's what they're going to sit with. And, and, and that's the, you know, when you get right down to it. And, you know, I... You know, Dennis, I I speak and I debate and I argue back and forth with a lot of people. And I understand, you know, and and what they speak about when they talk about the ills of this country, I do not dispute. This is some sick, this is a sick nation and has been since its creation, especially when it comes to the one thing that everybody seems to be able to agree upon, and that is religion. Mm-hmm. We all we are a Christian nation, which is mm-hmm. bull. We are a well, nation. The thing, of the thing idiots. is that if you look at the laws uh, having to do with voter suppression, if you look at the laws having to do with anti-abortion, if you look at the laws, the legislation, which is slowly seeping up across this nation, having to do with women's reproductive rights, if you look at the prison industrial complex, if you look at the military and Pentagon budget, if you look at the State Department travel budget, if you look at the decrease in government, in federal government oversight in the states, if you look at all of that, then you see the illness that has been just festering for 40 years. Well, and when you get down to it, Dennis, you have people who are 
who are sold. I don't. I can't call them. Stupid. It's about control. The whole Bible thing is about control. Exactly. The whole thing of religion, the whole thing of religion brings you to a, you know, and I understand people, they have their religion, they have their belief in God. I am not painting with a broad brush here. I am simply saying this. The indoctrination as children, you grow up to continue this indoctrination. Mm-hmm. You grow but up then- to... If if you are if if the book if the Bible if that's the book that mm-hmm. you so you know hold on to then hold on to the whole damn book. Mm-hmm. But the, but you know if you look at how this culture war is being rate, waged, um, if you look at just television entertainment for for one, there's a show on some one of these cable stations called Sister Wives. And what they're doing is trying to indoctrinate the American public into believing that um, polygamous relationships as ascribed to by the the Mormon church of old, they say it's of old, but it continues to be a tradition, is somehow ought to be mainstreamed. If you look at the takeover, I mean, cable TV in its early um, uh, iteration was nothing more than TV evangelical. You know, if you look at many of the evangelical leaders of anti-gay initiatives, They've turned out to be closeted gay men. Many leaders in Congress hopping on family values or state governors crusading on platforms of moral rectitude have turned out to be mired in sexual and financial scandals. And I'm not going to talk about the Catholic Church and child molestation. It's a consistent pattern. Let me put it like this. You know, be it the Catholic Church, be it the the Mormon faith, be it the Christian faith, be it the Islamic faith, regardless of what faith you want to belong to or what faith you have, you can have that faith without going over the deep end. The you know, and in everybody's and this is the whole thing. They but whatever it. happened whatever happened to the notion which is simply an illusion. The no, I mean Frank pointed out in his book Crazy for God, he pointed out in his book <laughs> Family Values, Portofino, there is no such thing in this country as separation of religion and state. None. But I tell you what, Alpho, while we're sitting here and talking, I got a tweet from Van Jones that said 80,000 Wall Street bank accounts went down this weekend. And that's not enough. And I say, you know, Dennis, you know how I felt about 
the big banks. And I'm and I'm here to tell you this: that is still not enough. The mm-hmm. big banks can be brought down, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Now you must fire that fire that final shot. Now that final shot is the implementation countrywide of state banks, because what people don't understand, they can issue credit cards. They can issue loans. They can the the stagnant pools of money that are sitting in every single state can resurrect each and every state financially with revenues simply by borrowing against that money. Mm-hmm. And the only way it will go down and fail is if that state fails, and it's not going to happen. But I'm I'm happy to hear that eighty thousand people and I think it should be I think it should simply grow and multiply. I don't mm-hmm. think it should stop. Well, uh, you know, the 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 thing is that when we people, people of goodwill, when the Democrats and the people who say they are progressive and liberal don't stand against the kind of culture war that Frank Schaefer was talking about in our first hour, when they don't stand against that, we will continue to see the seepage in our public policy. Because he's absolutely right. In the time in the 50s and 60s, and and probably many of them today, Alpho, are people who believe that black people are less than human. I said it. Oh yeah. Less than human. Well, that's what they teach. And whatever they get, I mean, I didn't get a chance to ask him, and I really did want to ask him about his take on why the evangelical conservatives. Excuse me. Are are so um, not uh, well. Are so courting um, Herman Cain. But his answer would be that they don't really care about him. It's just another tool. It's a tool. It's a ploy. It's their plot. It's to give them cover. It's to give the bigots cover. This is far more more about their intolerance for, and as Frank Schaefer said, their perfect world is a world without Mexicans, is a world without immigrants, is a world without black people, is a world without Muslims. Their entire perfect world and what they are striving for is a world full of nothing but pure white supremacy and the white race. This is what has kindled and has fused this racist white supremacy in this nation for centuries. And it's religiously based. The indoctrination of the children. You know, I play this YouTube, uh, and if people in the chat room and the people that are listening, if you want to Google or basically YouTube this little song, it only goes for 27 seconds. And the name of it is Carefully Taught. And it 
comes from a a, a play, a, a, a production, South Pacific, back in the 40s. And it comes from the, uh, you know, from the production back in the 40s, and it's about the very same thing, the indoctrination of children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hate and Because fear. the anger, the anger and the ignorance and the hatred is passed on to each successive generation. It's generational. Which is why many young evangelicals and Roman Catholics are, are, are ready to change their views and have about many social issues like gay rights but not about abortion because it's passed on. You know, it's really it reminds me of the way many um, Jewish young people uh, that have been in my classes or that I know are liberals when it comes to everything but their support for the state of Israel. When it comes to Israel issues, their usual lefty empathy for minorities and oppressed people, say for people just like the Palestinians, go out the window. Exactly. The fact that Palestinians are human beings, the fact that they are people of color, you know. Goes right out the window. Goes right out the window. Because of what has been passed down from one generation to the next. Exactly. And the the Jewish lobbying, the the I, the APAC, and mm-hmm. the, they have as much power, if not more, than the NRA. These are the institutions, the lobbying groups that we see that have that are actually and basically running things in this nation. You know, people speak about the you know the 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 shadow governments and. These are the are the tentacles of the shadow government. These major uh, lobbying efforts. The politicians are all bought, Democrat and Republican. I understand that part of it. What I don't understand is this false equivalency. Now, tell me from which part of the left this type of nefarious and insidious master plan comes from that encompasses voter suppression, that encompasses uh, lowering wages, vilifying and demonizing government to a point where people who need and people who don't have the least and the last can be so vilified to a point where you simply let them die, to creating a culture of of miseducation Mm -hmm. and the and, and the propping up of penal colonies and penal institutions. One of the most impressive movies I saw on penal colonies was Pathion. And I remember it so so to this day, and I'll watch it whenever it comes on, is because of the, the sheer we don't give a damn about you criminals mentality. That, but, that you know, movie. But, 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 you know, one of the things as, as black people that we have to really, and, and I want people to listen to me very carefully so that you can quote me correctly. The Bible is a mess. People manipulate the Koran. Every religion has its tools, you know, 
And what we cannot do as a people, and that was my point when I was talking with Tamalyn and um, Tucker Wards last night about these megachurches and the, and the condition and status and state of the black church is that we have to move beyond the easy answers and solutions in all of our religion. Say a little prayer, walk across the ladder, just trust Jesus. And we have to move beyond a faith that is more to a faith, that that is more individually personal and communal. All this mysterious stuff is driving our own humanity in the ground. Um, I mean, you know, we we can't not allow ourselves ourselves to be held hostage by their religion or our religion. I just think it's a the metaphysical. And that's exactly what it is. You know, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not a fool. Yeah, but we but we got these modern day Pharisees that we have definitely have got to talk down and talk out. But but see but see, Janice, let me let me say this. When you get to a point where you just said the Bible and people Oh, she's talking against the Bible it is in our elderly. It is in our People in the in their fifties and their forties because they this is generational, and now we bring about a bunch of children, and they are they are leaving that mindset more and more. But they don't simply just leave that mindset; they go all the way over to the other side. And one of my favorite lines in the movie, in a particular movie, is is who will deny? that the 20th century belonged to the devil. <laughs> Who will deny it? When you get right down to it, you see, I mean, this, this is, you're right, the Bible is a mess. To me, religion is a mess. And then when you have these black mega churches, and how many millions of dollars flows through the hands of these churches, and yet our community is still in this vapid uh, suspension of of just just la- languishing. Yep, that's it. And, you, and then people want to ask, what is Barack Obama going to do? He won't even say black. And then you put it at the doorstep of one individual. When you're you not doing the, very much. You know, Alpha, I'm glad you you were able to join me in this segment, but I'm going to play this for you. This is for you. Day long. What did they say? Say Satan, your kingdom must come down. 
How do you change? How do you how do you choose? How do you how do you differentiate? And that's the question. Which is the, question. Which is the question. and which is the good? Which side? That's how do you how do you pick them out? And you know, and that's one of the reasons that I think everybody ought to read uh, this book. Um, you know. Uh, it 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 just helps us put it into focus, and and you know, and Frank is entertaining and self-effacing, but he brings it so hard and so right. Well, he didn't bring it hard in his truth telling. He didn't bring it hard enough for me, because for what I mean, he brought he brought a great deal of facts. But what this really simply is, is a treason. This is sedition. This is the destruction of an America that can't be destroyed by an outside force. This is the destruction of America from within. Mm -hmm. And like all great empires, they have all fallen from within. Yep. Uh, I want you to uh, stay with me. I, I want to play something uh, because I really do believe that our understanding and our clarity about this um, infusion of conservative evangelical principles into our politics by way of the Republican Party and the Tea Party and people like Rick Perry, who people listen to, and Ron Paul. We can't leave him out. And Rick Santorum, who in one of the debates was preaching an evangelical sermon, and Newt Gingrich, who got redemption from them for his um, horrorizing. <laughs> Is that a word, Alpha? Horrorizing. Um, brought up Newt Gingrich. And all I have to say about Newt Gingrich. Take your home-wrecking whore. Go home. Oh, Lord. But it's it's this intersection with what's happening with the Occupy movement and the Occupy movement and, 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 and the education and information that it's bringing to the American people. There's going to be a revolution in this country. I don't know how it will end. We got no plans, no plans at all. Evil man's always Pretends or pretending We got no plans No plans at all Evil man's always transcending like I'm Lee Camp and this is your moment of clarity The Occupy Wall Street protest started something That is spreading across this country like a wave at a football stadium Or a rash at a nudist colony This movement started small and weird But has gotten strong and angry like Carrot Top did Slowly, people are realizing that it's okay to stand up, to raise their hand in solidarity. People are realizing that cops can't arrest everyone. They can't mace everyone. They can't take their daddy issues out on everyone. People are realizing it's okay to say that you, too, want corporations to pay their fair share and stop devouring this country's resources, sucking it dry, leeching its life force. This is the economic version of a competitive eating conversation. 
competition. Tremendously rotund CEOs shoving hot dogs into their engorged, lying faces, hoping they won't vomit everywhere before the clock runs out. Trying to get one more hot dog, just one more bite into their fucking mouths. And until now, no one has been stopping it. We've just been standing here and watching this morbid obesity with morbid curiosity, just going, are they really going to eat all that? They can't, they can't possibly still be hungry. Why are they still eating at this point? It's, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen. This is not a right and left issue. This is a right and wrong issue. Whoever's not willing to push for regulation and taxation of Wall Street is the enemy. Whether left or right, black or white, male or female, dumb or old, whether they're politically aware, or someone who paid money to see Transformers 3, or 2, or 1, or really anything by Michael Bay. Anything. A lot has been made about the fact that a large percentage of the Occupy Wall Street protesters are young people and therefore aren't representative of America. Well, who the fuck do you think has the most to lose once this country starts to look like the day after tomorrow meets the day after? Who do you think is dying overseas for a war that is now only about making Afghanistan safe for KBR shareholder profits? Who do you think has the most years left to breathe the polluted air, drink the tainted water, eat the mutated fish, and watch the fetid reality shit on TV that is clearly creating a nation of malignant imaginations? Who do you think? We're the ones who have to sit in this rancid bathwater, twiddling our thumbs and flicking our ding-dongs for the next 70 years, going, remember back when we could have stopped this? Man, we should have, like, done something. So it started as young people, yes, but now all brands of people are coming along, all ages, races, and creeds. Well, not those who like creed, you're not welcome, but everyone else. So go to OccupyTogether.org and learn about the protests going on all over this country. There's one near you. You have no excuse. The powerful are not going to cede their money, their control, their dead enslavement reigns, their gold-plated toilet bowls without a fight. And we're only in round one. But that's okay. I understand if you have better things to do than decide the future of this country. There's got to be a Michael Bay movie on somewhere. I'm Lee Camp, and that's your Moment of Clarity. Check out the Moment of Clarity podcast. It's free on iTunes, and uh, you can also listen at LeeCamp.net. Recent guests have included the Yes Men, and upcoming guests include Peter Joseph, creator of the Zeitgeist Movement. Thanks. See, we live in a country where people have to beg people to pay attention. Exactly, to pay attention to, pay attention <laughs> to what's going to benefit them. But not only do we live in a country where we have to beg people to pay attention, we also live in a country where we have to beg people to set aside the, the, the trivial and the petty BS that they are paying attention, but they are yep. paying attention to the wrong thing. Yep. Hey, Alpha, I've got, uh, I, 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 I thank you for, for joining me in this conversation because I, I think that we have got to stop being jaded and get clear about what's happening in this country. 
it's almost like we've got to stop saying we don't believe in conspiracies. We got to start saying, I saw the conspiracy, I explored it, I examined it, and now I know it's a conspiracy. Well, I agree. Yep. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Janet. Um, That was Alpha, host of the Alpha Show, and I want to thank all of you for being with us here tonight at our Common Ground. I want to do want to say for those of you who are our regulars that uh, we will continue to bring you the voices of reason and information here at our common grounds and people who are willing to speak truth to power and ourselves we are for those of you who are new we are here each saturday 10 p.m speaking truth to power and ourselves next saturday we will be joined once again by the author journalist amy alexander she's a nobler fellow at the nation institute an award-winning content producer. She has contributed to many prominent publications, including the Miami Herald, the Boston Globe, the Village Voice, Washington Post, and The Nation. She has also written for Salon.com and TheRoot.com and was associate producer of NPR's Tell Me More with Michelle Martin. Her three previous books include Lay My Burden Down, co-authored with Dr. Alvin Poussant, and she was with us um, last year. Her new book, and we'll be talking about it at our Common Ground next Saturday night, Uncovering Race, a Black Journalist's Story of Reporting and Reinvention. It's a tough-minded look at the treatment of ethnic minorities both in newsrooms and in the reporting that comes out of them within the changing media uh, landscape, and you will not want to to miss uh, Amy Alexander next Saturday on December nineteenth. On November nineteenth, joining us is the professor of economics at Duke University, and now a visiting professor at Stanford University, coming to our common ground again. William Sandy Darity. He'll be with us on November 19th, and on November 26th, E. Patrick Johnson will be joining us uh, to talk with us about his book of interviews with gay men of the South all over the age of 60, talking about homophobia in the black community and how they have rendered in their lives, and on December 3rd, our brother Isaiah Washington will be with us. So we've got a lineup that you will not want to miss. Also, for to remind you that Enter the Lion's Den uh, is broadcasting at TruthWorks Network, right here at Blog Talk Radio on Thursdays. And Fridays at 9 p.m., the host of Enter the Lion's Den is LDX, and it features 
Information Man, and it's Swagger Talk Radio. On Saturday, join Alpha of the Alpha Show at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, it's the best just damn politics on the Alpha Show, and we hope that you will join us. Coming soon, on November 14th, at TruthWorks Network. The Global Village Voice with Dr. Peter E. Matthews, and I think that you will enjoy the international flavor of talking about oppression, spirituality, and hope right at TruthWorks Network on Monday nights at 9 p.m., and we certainly will welcome him to the TruthWorks Network channel. For those of you who are our regulars, we depend upon you to get the word out. Please let people know. When we tweet to you, when we send you email, please pass it on. We need to increase our listenership and the people who come into our chat room. So next Saturday, Amy Alexander, Uncovering Racism a reporter's investigation into race in the newsroom in America. Thank you so very much for being with us, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. Don't forget, occupy something if it's nothing more than your black mind this week. A shout-out to our friends at Occupy across the globe, especially Oakland, Occupy Oakland and Occupy Wall Street, Occupy Harlem is on its way. Occupy Hood is getting it ready. I'm Janice Graham, and this has been Our Common Ground, broadcasting bold, brave, and black. Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground with Frank Schaefer and loads of discussion from our callers, those of you who have joined us in our chat room. We especially want to thank Frank Schaefer for his guest appearance here tonight at Our Common Ground. Join us next Saturday night at 10 p.m. Our guest will be Amy Alexander, author and journalist. Amy Alexander is an award-winning content producer. She is a 2008 Alfred Nobler Fellow at the Nation Institute. She has contributed to many prominent publications and she has been a guest here at Our Common Ground in the past. Her publications include the Miami Herald, Boston Globe, Village Voice, and the Washington Post and The Nation. Join us with my friend Amy Alexander, Uncovering Race, a black journalist's journey of reporting and reinvention. It's her new book, Uncovering Race, a black journalist reporting and reinvention. I'll be listening for you. Our Common Ground, Saturdays, here, I'll put a spell on at you. the Our Common Ground Studios. Broadcasting all. 